millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hey friends, welcome to Last Drinks. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving putting this podcast together. And I also wanted to mention if you find yourself listening to a particular episode of this podcast or, you know, you kind of are resonating in particular with somebody's story, feel free to share that episode with somebody else. Um, I really have had some great feedback through Instagram at Last Drinks Pod on Instagram if you want to get in touch. And also through LinkedIn, I am myself on LinkedIn, Maz Compton. Um, I've had some really wonderful feedback of people saying, hey, I listened to this episode, quote unquote, listening for a friend. Um, but then they shared that episode with somebody else. And then that person has tapped into the podcast and gone on their own sober curiosity journey. So it's really nice to have that feedback. So I just wanted to say, yeah, if you are resonating with some of the content here um, and somebody pops into your mind, share it with them. You never know. It, It may send them down the sober curiosity path, which is a really great path to go down. So today's episode, Last Drinks with Rachel Layton. So Rachel is a wonderful human. She's a certified alcohol coach and she comes to her coaching business through her own experience. Uh, Also, though, she's trained. So she's gained a lot of knowledge through her training on how to help women in particular take back control of their drinking. So Rachel was in a situation where she was drinking way too much for way too long and worrying about the impact that it was having on her health and also the symptoms she was having of perimenopause. Now, you might be a woman listening to this and thinking, oh, my God, I know perimenopause is terrifying. Um, it, you know, it, it hits women in a certain age bracket sometimes a little bit before, sometimes a little bit later. But if you're dancing around that territory and you have symptoms of perimenopause, Rachel can really talk to how stopping drinking really quashed a lot of those symptoms and helped her navigate that season of life better. On paper, her life was, you know, really quite okay and she didn't really even understand why she was drinking so regularly. And she realized that There are some health knock-on negative impacts that her drinking was having. So she decided to make a change. I'll let Rachel explain the whole story and the life she's created and how she helps people navigate the scary and murky waters of sober curiosity and sobriety in our podcast chat. So please enjoy Last Drinks with Rachel Layton. Rachel Layton, could you please... Tell me about your last drink. 
my last drink was in September 2020 and it was a bit of a long time coming to be honest um, because I was battling with um, trying to moderate. I didn't feel that I was a bad enough drinker, bad enough in inverted commas to give up completely so I was just trying to moderate and I was finding it difficult so um And it took me years, really. But once I decided that I would take a break from drinking, I um, I kept putting it off. So for months and months and months, I'd put it off because I'd be like, well, not this weekend because I've got this on or not this month because it's my birthday month. So it ended up being, you know, at the end of a busy like social period and a weekend in September, I knew it would be my last drink. So we'd had a couple of social things and I was like, right, look line in the sand, um, I'm going to have a break and it was going to be a three-month break. But I knew in my heart of hearts I needed to do it for longer. But three months was, for me, something that I could get my head around. So that last drink was, um, you know, a glass of white wine, which was my uh, was my drink of choice. So... So September 2020, mm-hmm. are we at the end of the first period of lockdown? Like we are peak pandemic. Yep. The world has changed. We're coming out of our homes for the first time in a while. So I can imagine it probably felt like a good time to reframe because everything had changed. You, we went into lockdown and we came out into a different world. Yeah. And I think lockdown was, or COVID itself, was a bit of a trigger anyway, because I knew I'd been questioning my drinking for a few years, you know, and it kind of, it it creeps up on you. You start to drink more, your tolerance is higher. You, I, I called myself a weekend drinker, but my weekends would start, say, on a Thursday night and end on a Sunday, not that I drank the whole time, you know what I mean? But I I made out that I was, it was okay. I'm just a social drinker. I'm just a weekend drinker. But um, with COVID and especially working from home, everybody's go-to was like, you know, well, we just have to have a drink or let's catch up with drink on Zooms or, you know, it's been, and it was a stressful period like for everybody. So it's stressful for me at work, you know, at home, all those sorts of things. So um, that stress led to actually drinking more. So even though we weren't socialising as much, we were drinking more often because you sort of had that get out of jail free card almost and it was you know there were jokes going around like I don't know after lockdown which meeting I'll go to first Weight Watchers or AA you know and everyone was like oh well it's a Wednesday night who cares let's have a drink it's been stressful so that was one of the things but yeah COVID certainly you know and, and there are studies that show that people actually started drinking more in COVID. Yeah and I think too that it was an excuse to throw the rule book out the window in the sense of I think for some people who are listening to this who are like, yeah, I've tried that moderation thing and it's not really, I don't know if moderation is the way forward. But I think when you're trying to moderate, we have these like boundaries where we're like, well, I won't get too loose in front of my friends. Like I'll put myself in a cab and go home Mm -hmm. because I'm decent. Or I... I'm not going to start drinking before 4 p.m. because that's, you know, we do all these things 
where it makes our drinking behavior seem okay and acceptable because that's the norm bit. Mm -hmm. And COVID threw all of that out the window because it was like no one knows if you're drinking before four. No. Because there's no one there because you're at home, in your house, in your room, on Zoom. And so you can't put yourself in a cab from your own house and get out of the social situation because there's no, it's like all of those parameters, all of those, you know, kind of, I don't know what the best word is for. They're like these imaginary rules that we have that make our drinking acceptable or okay or not bad enough. Um, They all went. And then we re-emerged out of COVID into society which had changed and it's like how do we even manage so I understand I think the timing of you getting to this place where you were like this is a good time to Mm -hmm. take a bit of time off so when I find it interesting Rachel that you say three months let's not drink for three months because that seemed manageable um what about the three months for you gave you the biggest buy-in because you try to moderate and you tried really hard and then that didn't really get the result that you wanted. So what for you about that season off alcohol was the biggest thing that you were like, I'm going to do this for a significant amount of time? I think there were a couple of things to it. I mean, I had a couple of years before that taken a six-month break and that had been purely like I had changed jobs, had a whole new routine or, you know, there were a lot of factors involved and six months was okay but um, it was um, at the end of that six months I was like okay I've got this under control and I um, went back and pretty much started drinking in the same way that I had before and that really scared me. So I knew I could do a longer period of time but the difference between then and, and now was that when I decided to take that three-month break I I knew that I couldn't do it just by habit change. I had to change my way of thinking around alcohol and I had to stop thinking of it in terms of I can't do anything without drinking. You know, I can't socialise without drinking. I can't um, unwind at the end of a stressful day without drinking. All those things in my um, head. So I decided on three months more because I thought it was something that I could say to people because there's still that stigma about giving up drinking. So I was like, you know what, if I say to people it's for health reasons, you know, and I say I'm going on a health kick, which I did when I did the six-month thing as well, I want to cut out drinking, I want to see because I was going through perimenopause as well, I want to see how it affects my um um, perimenopause symptoms. I want to see, you know, how it affects my health, my sleeping, all those sorts of things. And for me, that three months was mainly um, a way of explaining it to other people because it was so yeah. big in my head in terms of what will people think. You know, will they think I've got this problem if I decide to? To, to me, it seemed extreme. And that's just a reflection of how we see alcohol in our society. And I look back on it now and I think that is crazy the way I looked at it. But yeah. I know that, you know, I work now as an alcohol coach and I know that that's one of the big things that people worry about what others will think, you know, and it's just crazy. 
it's it, it's I, not crazy because we do think no, that way, but you know what I mean? It's I just, know what you're saying though. Yeah. When you get down a certain period of time in sobriety, you're like, oh, this is a no-brainer. This is the key to an incredible life. This is, I found my purpose. I found my joy. I have clarity. But I absolutely understand how scary it is looking down the barrel of sobriety and going, especially when it's after a long day, a hard day, a bad week, a good week, a celebration, a commiseration, like whatever it is, there's alcohol involved. And I understand that thought of like, what do I do if I'm not drinking? And how are people going to judge me for that? And then you can get caught in this really negative feedback loop and that entraps you like that keeps you in in the place because you're we're so concerned with what other people think that we end up having a problem Mm. and the thing that we most fear is that people thinking we have a problem we actually end up manifesting and then we do have a (laughs) problem so then all they're doing is thinking the truth which is the problem right So I get it. So what did you in those critical few days, weeks of the three months, how did you get around that self-talk? How did you overcome that fear of what other people are going to think? I think it was um, just doing it. You know what I mean? It was like, I am not going to not do anything that I did before. So if if there's, I'm not going to say no to any invitations um, to go places. Even if it was in a bar, I was like, I'm going to put myself in those positions and I'm going to look at it a little bit differently too, because it was this time around, it really was a mindset shift for me. And I had been doing a lot of reading, a lot of, you know, quick lit reading. I read, read This Naked Mind by Annie Grace and that really turned my head around in all my mindset around in terms of it. I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I was, you know, delving into it a bit more deeply and going, hey, there's lots of people, there's lots of really cool people who are doing this. And so I started looking at it that way and going, okay, I'm going to test this out and test out if I really can go out without drinking, you know, and yeah, of course you can, you know, and can I distress at the end of a busy week without, you know, that glass, two, three more of wine? Yeah, I can, you know, and so it was kind of testing every scenario and the three months was actually going to take me up to Christmas and and that's why I did the three months because I thought, oh, Christmas, that's a, that's a bad time, you know. Christmas parties and then Christmas itself but by that stage I had tested myself in a number of different ways and um, I was like oh hang on a minute this is okay and also to that whole idea of you know what are people going to say when when people asked me why I wasn't drinking which wasn't as often as I thought to be honest Mm. you know that was the other thing I thought it was a big thing but nobody cares what's in your glass really um and I'd be like you know what I just feel heaps better which I did it was such a legitimate thing so and also I think the rise in alcohol-free drinks helped as well so there's so many alcohol-free drinks as you know um and I was like 
so I can go to somebody's place and take a bottle of alcohol-free wine or a bottle of, you know, whatever, and I don't feel weird like I'm sitting in the corner with this, you know, water and being boring. And it wasn't boring at all because I wasn't worried about how much I was drinking. I was just concentrating on the conversations or being in the moment or whatever. And it was just this whole switch. I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, that that's actually better. And um, that was key for me going, oh, God, after all this worrying, this back and forth, this, you know, trying to moderate this, you know, oh, you, you can't give up, it's too extreme. Um, I Really, I keep saying, you know, I was asking myself the wrong question, you know, surely I'm not bad enough to give up. And it's like the question should have been, you know, is it going to be better without alcohol? Am I going to stop, you know, thinking about it all the time and, and beating myself up because I think that I'm, you know, drinking more than I should? And, you know, what if I, you know, there's this whole mental ping pong game that goes on in your head. It's just, yeah, you know, insane. And then... Um, it is. It's so... And it's confronting too because I think sobriety really does force you into those tough conversations with yourself that we so often drink to avoid you know what a beautiful loop that is how (laughs) the thing that drives us to drink is the very thing that we're faced with when you take alcohol out of the equation but those questions and conversations are crucial they're critical in evaluating our self-worth and figuring out our purpose and I think you make a really good point that you're asking yourself the wrong question like is Mm -hmm. my drinking bad enough that I need to quit alcohol Mm -hmm. um and you're right I think that those those questions are really not helpful another way I think of framing it is to say am I good enough like is this good enough for me you know, if your life is spiraling, if you're hungover all the time, if you look like crap, if you're eating crap, if you wake up every weekend dreading what you've done the night before, is that good enough? Mm, exactly. Is that your best life? Is that your best self? Mm. And if it's not, which we know it's not, then that gives you an opportunity to choose better. And so when I say, is it good enough? I don't mean, am I good enough? It's, is the behavior that you're doing on an equal footing to the self-worth that you have because you are enough, Mm. you know. And I think, again, it is a complete paradigm shift in your brain and you cannot have that when you're drinking. It's like you just, you have to walk through the door and get like 10 feet in before any of that drops into your brain. Mm. And that's where, you know, it's one of those things, this is why I love these conversations because I'm like, you can only get it if you get it and you are the only person that can get it for you. And and I think educating yourself with Quitlit, brilliant. Um, immersing yourself in podcasts and conversations about sober curiosity, great. Following sober influencers online, amazing. But at the end of the day, you are the only person that can stop putting alcohol in your mouth because you're the only person doing it to yourself. And that's a really big one for people to, I think, level up to and accept because, and I used to do this too. I used to think it was everyone else. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah, but like, 
old mate's always buying shots and like putting them in my hand. And yes, exactly. Can't like can't go out for drinks with Dan without having at least six beers. Yeah, there were seven people there. We all had to buy a round. You know, it's like, but at the end, like I really had a come to Jesus moment early on in my sobriety where I was like, oh shoot, I did all of this. Yeah, I did all of this to me. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm going to make a better choice, a different choice. And the the knock-on benefits of that, as I'm sure you can talk about, like you can't really, you can't sum them all up in a quick sentence because I think the compound benefits of sobriety are ongoing forever. So it's like the quicker we come to it, you know, the better and the longer those compound benefits. But what are the some of the things that you experienced in early sobriety that might encourage somebody who's thinking, okay, enough is enough? Yeah, I think you're right. There's so many benefits. And, um, you know, at the beginning, it was the health benefits. It was, you know, sleeping because I would be waking whenever I would be drinking the night before, I'd be waking up like at three o'clock in the morning. And now I know why, because that's the way that alcohol works in your body. But, you know, I'd be worrying and anxious and unable to get back to sleep. Um, And even with that, I blamed it on perimenopause. And once that finished, or once I stopped drinking, that I didn't have that waking up in the middle of the night. Um, some of the perimenopause symptoms I had went away. Um, just um, that that low level, um, you know, that that sluggishness you have. So you know, if you go well. It's, it's not that I had hangovers and then it would write off the rest of the day that I would be lying on the couch or anything, but I would have that lack of energy. I'd be eating crappy food. I'd be, you know, doing all those things, feeling crap. Um, and, and you just get used to that feeling of crap, really. And even on days when you're not drinking, it, it's that it's still... Um, you know, you're feeling the effects of it from the weekend, say. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got, you know, so much more energy because I'm not putting, you know, this toxic substance into my body. I'm sleeping better. Um, I'm feeling better about myself. Um, Stress was a big thing. Like, you know, I thought that drinking was relieving my stress because you'd have a glass of wine and you'd go, you know. And so I thought, oh, great, you know, I, I that's relieving my stress. And I realized it was actually causing more stress. You know, I'd have that short term, ah, but the longer term of putting alcohol into my body, not sleeping well, all of those things. Yeah. So I actually realized, and that was a big aha moment that, oh my God, I'm creating more stress in my life by drinking. It's actually not relieving it. And there's so many other ways that I can do that. So it was all these, you know, and you're right, you can read it, you can hear people saying it, you've got to experience it. And, you know, people talk about the pink cloud after a few months of being alcohol free, everything seems to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns. It kind of does. It does. And there is some truth to that because you're like, oh my gosh, you know, the world in technicolor type thing. Um, but it, it is because you feel so much better within yourself and that's mentally and physically and so and the strength in that too and you go oh hang on a minute I don't have to drink and that idea of I don't have to drink instead of I'm depriving myself I think that was another thing so um yeah I just yeah you're right there's so many benefits but um I think you also need to put in place some things to 
you know, for example, I was talking about stress, you know, what what are the other ways then that you can have a stress relief? So I think if you take alcohol out of the equation, it also forces you to look at the reasons why you used it in the first place and go, okay, well, I use that to say, you know, take the edge off, whether that was socially or stress or whatever, how do you take the edge off? And so that's the whole process and it's different for everybody, of course, but um, yeah. You make a really great point. Um, No one has to drink alcohol. And that's one that I wish somebody told, I I missed that memo. I did not get that memo. I thought I had to drink alcohol to fit into society. I thought I had to drink alcohol on a Friday at four o'clock yep. in the radio station when Polly the drinks trolley got wheeled around and we all would partake in a celebratory beverage that turned into 4,000. Yes. Um, I never knew I didn't have to drink until I stopped drinking. And then I was like, oh, my God, I could have just, like, stopped doing this ages ago. <laughs> like, what an idiot. But it was months of sober curiosity that led me to that point and to that paradigm shift, of course. But I think it's worth just noting that I know that will be really helpful for someone listening who, like, that's going to resonate with someone who actually just what just is like, oh, shoot, oh, yeah, I don't actually have to. You feel like you have to, but you don't actually have to. And that's like taking your power in the situation too so that you're not just like this, person getting let along this road and fed all of these drinks it's like you you can make that conscious choice to not drink because you don't actually have to there's no I know we think there's expectations on us to drink but we we there actually isn't it's it's all kind of like caught up in our brain because our the way I function in society now is so different but I'm still functioning in society I'm actually functioning a high level. better as a yes, human. Yes, <laughs> totally. Like I, I thought I was functioning well. I was very dysfunctional when I was drinking, <laughs> but I'm still, I'm I'm better than ever. Like my function in society is better than it's ever been. And, and I've managed to do all of that in eight years without alcohol. I wanted to ask you, Rachel, can you paint me a picture in like August, September, 2020? Mm-hmm. I know we were in a lockdown situation, but I, I feel like, Sometimes people, it, it, again, it comes back to like, oh, is my drinking bad enough that I really need to give up? Mm-hmm. But I want you to paint a picture because I feel like there's a lot of people that will be like, oh, my God, that's my situation too. And so mm-hmm. maybe sober curiosity or sobriety is a road that I should go down based on like your day to like what was your day to day? Where were you at? Mm-hmm. And while it was... um. COVID times and lockdown, it was because I live in Brisbane, we didn't have much of a lockdown. So it was still social things. So I was still going out and, and so going out for me is, you know, socialising in terms of, you know, um, lunches and dinners at people's place and all of my friends drink and my partner drinks and my family drink and, you know, so it was doing all of those social things. But it was what I was... For me, it was just the mental um, back and forth about am I drinking too much? Let's moderate. And my moderation was, okay, I'm worried now because of COVID and the stresses of COVID that I'm, you know, 
drinking more frequently. My I can drink more than I used to. So, you know, I I remember, you know, years before having a bottle of wine and uh, with a friend, and she she had one bottle, I had one bottle, and I felt totally, you know, I felt terrible after it I felt sick physically sick and fast forward a few years and I could easily drink a bottle and it still not feel great but not you know so I became piss fit if you like um and and that's my god I've never heard that term before but that (laughs) is such a great explanation for some people's relationship with alcohol piss fit and you oh. think it's a good thing. People say that, you know, you've got to get pissed fit for a, you know. For going, summer. For summer or whatever, you know. And it's like oh God, that means yeah. that your tolerance is higher. Oh. And that scared me, you know, because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can drink more than I used to be able to just because I've built up wow. this tolerance. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that back and forth. Oh, so I'll cut back. I'll have, you know, one glass of wine, then I'll have a glass of water, one glass, and that doesn't last long. Or I won't drink on these days or I'll, you know, um, it was just, it was just doing my head in really. And that's exhausting. It's exhausting. tiring if you're spending that much time thinking about your drinking. And that's what freed up a lot, you know, the time, you know, and, and back to what you were saying about, you know, we always think we can drink it. But for me, it was like, oh, that's so extreme if you just cut it out altogether. Because to me, it was like, unless you're pregnant or um, an alcoholic um, or, and, and alcoholic is a, is a term that they don't even use anymore. You know, there's an mm-hmm. alcohol use disorder. So what, what even is an alcoholic? But anyway, um, so it, or if you've got, you know, cultural or religious reasons. So for me, they were the three things to stop drinking. So other than that, because we've grown up with that in our culture that, you know, like you were talking Friday drinks or, you know, end of the day drinks trolley and whatever, you know, that's, yeah, that's how you, those messages are all around. So you think, no, you can't not drink. That's, you know, it's just unfathomable. That's That's weird. That's weird, but it's not weird. It's not. And when you get on the other side of sobriety, like I now think it's weird that people drink. I'm like, why are you doing that? You're putting a drug into your body that's damaging your brain cells and it's got got a very high chance of causing cancer to grow in your body at some point in your life with use over time. Like, that's a fact, you know, and I do, I, so now I'm like, oh, the drinking bit's the weird bit. Like, why can't we actually just sit down and socialize and be present with each other? Yeah. Why do we have to sit down and socialize and escape from each other? Because when, if you go out partying with somebody and you don't remember the next day, that's not connection. That's escapism. That's, mm. you haven't been with that person if you've been blackout drunk and you don't remember being with them. That's not connecting with a friend. That's, and we're hardwired for connection. So Alcohol robs us of living presently in our lives and showing up in the real world in real time. Like it's the thief of the night. And so for me, I now, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm being judgmental because it's really hard not to. (laughs) No. But when you get that penny drop or it's like, it's not that I'm being judgmental. It's just that I want everyone to feel how I feel. 
And like the biggest one for me, and I don't know if this is similar for you, Rachel, or if there is a, it's a different thing, but for me, the peace. Yes, absolutely. Holy shit. The peace as somebody who's socially anxious, who suffered from imposter syndrome, all of the reasons why I drank, high functioning, overachiever, very successful, drink, 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 drink. As someone who's, you know, lived my most of my adult life like that up until I quit drinking, the inner peace that came with sobriety, not in, not on day one, because on day one, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> Maybe I should go to rehab. I don't know. Um, how am I going to get through this month without, yes. you know, how am I going to show up and go to work and do it? How am I going to function on a weekend? How, like, I'm probably going to, I feel like I was going to die, you know, but I got through it. And somewhere in that first 30 days, I just had this like relief. Mm. I was like, oh my God, like, oh, and that I want, whatever that feeling is, I want everyone to experience it because it is gold and it is my everyday motivator because I feel like that all the time. Even though there's chaos around me, I have a three and a half year old. That's chaos. It's chaos (laughs) and it's been traumatic. My dad passed away a few months ago. Like Mm. there's been Life will ebb and flow and life Mm. will be fantastic and fucking terrible. Mm. But I have this inner compass and this like inner peace that I'm like, I want everyone to experience it. Do you have a similar thing from your experience? Yeah, and I think it's like, you know, you were talking about the ebbs and flows of life and positive and negative, and you think, oh, okay, this is going okay now, but what what about when something bad happens in my life? And now I right. think about it and I'm like, oh, my God, why would you add alcohol to that? Because that would just make things even worse because you're either numbing it out, which doesn't solve the issue, right? So you're still got to face those feelings um you're disconnecting from other people and and I saw alcohol as um something that helped me connect with other people and it does the opposite um so it's it's all of those things and and back to when you what you were saying about when you look at people and and they're drinking and you're going why would you do that I often think of it in terms of if that was a type of food or say it was milk that was making you wake up in the middle of the night, feel crappy the next day, um, forget what you had said to your mates because you'd had, you know, five glasses of milk or whatever. You know what I mean? You'd wake up the next day and you'd go, oh, I'm just not drinking milk because milk doesn't agree with me. And you would say that to people and they'd go, yeah, no worries. You know, that's fine. But we have this thing around alcohol that it's necessary and and all those sorts of things so I think that's key too when you start looking at it differently it's probably Mm. the same as as you know cigarettes in the past I used to be a smoker Um, Mm. but now I mean you would never see ads for cigarettes anymore or you know people still smoke of course but when you see people who are smoking it, they're always going oh, I want to give up I want to give up so it's we know now the the health um, implications of, of smoking um, yes. and that will come with alcohol I think but it absolutely will yeah. and that you know there's just been a recent study published that goes into detail about Basically, the conclusion from the research was people under 40 shouldn't drink alcohol. 
Yeah, full stop. That. Yeah. Full stop. And you cannot argue with scientifically backed, evidence-based empirical research. It's there. So, we, you know, now it's just a matter of getting it out to the masses and people understanding that that is the truth and that is how dangerous and serious this is. Um, I loved what you said about how um, like alcohol promised, it's like your stress was high and you thought alcohol was helping your stress levels go down, but in fact it was probably escalating them. And, you know, alcohol was the way that you thought you were connecting with your friends, but it's actually like a big disconnector. And um, there's this great little sort of, quote that I've seen online that says sobriety gives you everything alcohol promised Promised. yes and it does and the more so whenever you I think that's a really good one for people to just have a think about in your own reflection time of like well why do you drink like do you drink because well if you drink because you feel anxious so the alcohol is promising that your anxiety will reduce that's a lie sobriety will ensure that your anxiety is reduced yes and so that's just a really good parallel to draw for so I drink like one of the reasons that I used to drink was that I felt like it gave me relief at the end of the day but sobriety is the biggest relief I've ever felt yes you know so that's a really key one for people who are sort of you know, in that sort of murky waters of do I moderate, do I have some time off, that sounds really hard. Like it is hard, but it's totally worth it. So, yeah, every time you think of a promise that alcohol made you, that is actually not what alcohol will give you. That's what sobriety will give you. It's like this cool life hack. Yes, it is a life hack. It's sobriety like- is the best life hack. You know how there's all these life hacks? <laughs> I'm like, sobriety is actually the one. The one. And it's a rebel move too, I think, you know, and I look at it like that now. I don't look at it as a negative thing or missing out or, oh, my God, I have to do this because I've got a problem. It's like it's a rebel move to go, you know what, I'm not doing what, you know, is just expected and is, you know, um, the done thing. I'm enjoying all these things, you know. I recently went to a, a live music thing that was great because I could be in the moment listening to live music not worrying about going and getting a drink every you know whatever not going to the loo all the time because I'd had too many to drink not forgetting parts of the night if I drunk too much you know just and and I've had that experience with so many things you know like Mm. going to um you know catching up with people say or going to um, going on holidays you know you think oh my god you Mm. can't go on holidays without it but you just experience everything more so because you're in the moment, you're there, you're enjoying it, you're not worrying about when you're going to have the next drink or not recovering from having too many drinks the night before. And so it is that life hack, but it's also that rebel move. It's like, no, I'm not going to um, I'm not going to fall for that crap anymore. You know that alcohol is the answer to everything because I know that it's not anymore. So, and you're right, you've got to actually experience it so that's why I say to people don't don't talk about it as forever just experience it but give it a decent crack too you know so yeah yeah another another interesting point um you know just thinking out loud is there's not really anything when you said you know if if we were to replace our alcohol consumption with say a food or like milk for example like there's not 
other substances that we consume where you have like eight or ten in a day no. or a night? No. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if somebody said to me, I had ten coffees today, I'd be like, you're crazy. Yeah. Like yeah. how are you not in a hospital? Yeah. And yet we, I mean, this is, I'll just put my hand up, back in the day, big day out, oh, I'd totally. have ten beers minimum. Yeah. Minimum in a day, a full day out at a festival. Yeah. And so, but you wouldn't eat 10 ham and cheese toasties in an afternoon. No. Or like, the, yeah. The num- like when you think about it like that, the, the sheer volume of what we're consuming in alcohol is absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, exactly. I recently um, wrote a blog post around mangoes and I was saying, you know, mangoes are my favourite fruit. Um, I love mangoes. And, oh, God, and mango season's coming up, which is great. Yes. Um, yeah. But, you know, same thing. I wouldn't have, especially with the big mangoes, you probably just have half anyway, but there's no way in the world you'd have like five mangoes in one sitting. And then yeah. when it's not mango season and you can't buy them, you don't go, oh, I'm hanging out for mangoes, I'm hanging out for mangoes, you know. And so it's just like you've got yeah. to question it and go, wow, what what's what's in alcohol that is causing all of this and what's the societal stuff that's going on there? Because you're right, if we overindulge in anything else, you know, it'd be like, whoa, you know, that, yeah. um, that can't be good for us. Especially if we overindulged and then we felt like crap the next day, we'd go, you know what, that isn't doing me any favours. I might, I don't need that in my life. I might just do something else, you know. Well, the other one is like how, let's say I have a peanut allergy. Like you're not going to make me peanut brittle if we catch up for afternoon yeah. tea. Because it will kill me if I'm anaphylaxis. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people have alcohol allergies and they just don't realise it because they have a drink and they turn into a complete moron. (laughs) Or they have a few hundred drinks and they don't remember like pockets of time. They act like a an idiot. They um and this is speaking from experience, like I I'm I've done all of the things, you know. I've danced on tables that I wouldn't done like behaviour that's really not in alignment with who I am essentially yeah under the guise of like oh free her inhibitions but I feel like that reaction like a reaction to alcohol that causes you to become a dickhead is not something that we should be pressuring people to just like back to the peanut allergy thing like you're not then going to wave a peanut brittle in front of my face and go oh but Maz come on everyone else is having peanuts yes like yeah but I'm gonna I will be hospitalized. Like this is bad for my health. And I think if, you know, that could also be a really good tool for people to use when it does come up of why aren't you drinking? What's wrong with you? And it's like, you could say like, I have a bad reaction to alcohol. I'm just having a break because I just want to see how my life is going without having this thing. You know, like there's so many different ways that we, I think in sobriety can find to explain what is going on for us without apologizing and going I'm sorry I'm not drinking because you should never have to apologize for your sobriety at all and I think the interesting thing for me was it's opened up so many conversations so my biggest fear as I said like right at the beginning was people going well why aren't you and thinking that I had a problem and even if people do nobody has outwardly said that to me like did you have a problem people will ask me how much I drank um but um 
mainly it opens up the conversation because I do do that in terms of I say I just feel heaps better I've decided that Mm. I don't just I don't need it in my life because I feel so much better in this way and that way and the other way um and then you have people having those conversations and because I drink alcohol free you know wines or gins or you know any sort of drinks I try them all um and then people will have a taste of it so even friends of mine who um still drink will say to me now oh during the week I will have um the alcohol free version of whatever or um after you said that about you know your menopause symptoms say not being as bad I I cut back and I'm using alcohol free drinks and I feel so much better for it and so you think that people are going to think that it's weird, but actually it gives permission for that conversation to open up. And I think the more we have these sorts of conversations, which was why I was so pleased that you had this podcast, the more that people see that it's normal, you know, that you don't have to be um, hitting a rock bottom or whatever. You don't have to get to the end of the line, whatever that may look like for you to go, hang on a minute. I don't have to do this anymore and I actually feel better. So I think it, yeah. it'll take time for that conversation or for people to do that. But, yeah, I've seen that in my own life, people going, oh, wow, okay, that's interesting. Well, and that is a really good point too because I think sometimes subconsciously when people hear about sobriety, they're like, the question I got asked a lot was like, so, so what happened? Yes, exactly. And I'm like, well, Nothing. Like I, I can't, I didn't, it was not a leaving Las Vegas scenario. I didn't lose my job. I didn't have an affair. I didn't do, like nothing happened. Mm. It was The story's boring, to be honest. <laughs> but I think what people are looking for is a justification yep. because if nothing happened, then everyone should quit drinking. But if something crazy happened and that, that's why I quit, if nothing that crazy happens, then no one else has to quit. But I think when, you know, I wish back when I was early sobriety, like I'm so, I'm quite far down the road now, but I, I wished that I had have just said, like when somebody said, so what happened? I wish that I had have just gone, I just decided I didn't want to drink anymore. I like watch their mind explode. I know. That like, is a rebel move, isn't what it? Do you, what do you mean? I'm like, just decided. Just. I'm not going to drink anymore. Yeah. And I love mind blowing, mind blown. Um, And I love saying that now, you know, because I and hand on heart, I can say and that's why I've been, you know, a couple of years alcohol free because I feel so good. So it's it's not a temptation. You know, we've got a a bar in our house and people bring drinks. People are like, oh, is it okay if I bring drink? It's like, yeah, people drink around me. Like at the beginning, they were worried. And it's like, no, that's fine. Like, you know, we can go to a pub, we can go to um, whatever. And, And pubs now, most of the good ones have alcohol free drinks anyway. So it's not as if you're drinking water. But when they see that you can still enjoy yourself, I think that's, you know, you're living your best life and people see that and they go, oh, okay, right. Um, you know, I, you don't have to have that, that story. As good as it would be to be able to write this, you know, <laughs> memoir type thing and leaving Las Vegas type, and but look, those, you don't. Those stories exist as they well. Do. Like there, there are so many of those stories where it's like I thought I hit rock bottom and then the bottom fell out of rock bottom and then it it's just like – it's it's a Hollywood movie. Like it's it is so catastrophic, dire. Like there are those stories, absolutely. But 
I just think sobriety is totally available for everyone, no matter where you're at on that scale. And if you are honestly just like, I wish I should, I wish I could drink a bit less. I reckon that puts you in the sober curious category and some time off would be great. And if you can go back and moderate, go back and moderate, but, but do, do the bit first, do the, the month or the three, I like to say a season, Yes. Um, but you know, 30 days is good. Like I had my kind of big paradigm shift on about day 22 Mm. and then, and I knew from that point on, I would not drink again. Like I just knew it. And then I just had to convince myself because I knew it in my heart and I was like, we're really not drinking again. Like it's your birthday soon. And then, you know, the birthday came and went and then it was like, oh, okay, now there's another milestone and now I've done another bit of time and it just becomes, and like you said, I I don't think about alcohol now. No. Something that I, whereas I used to think about it all the time. Yes, exactly. Whether it was because I was drinking, ordering drinks, or worried that I'd had too many. Yes. I thought a lot about alcohol and now there's zero. I mean, I talk about it, but that's because I'm trying to help people get sober. Yeah, but that's the only time I ever think about it too. And it's so much of a relief because it's not taking up that mental space anymore. So, you know, and, and when I first started, it was planning out. And that's what I say to people when they're, when they're starting off, you know, you need to plan what you're going to say, what you're going to do, if you're going out, you know, what you're going to drink, all those things. But that's, that's a toolkit that you have right at the beginning. But now I just don't even think about it. And so mm. if, you know, there's new people, and they say oh you you're not drinking tonight or whatever it's like oh no no I don't drink it you know whatever and it's it it's just a non-event it's yeah. you know a non-event which I never thought I would say but um and it doesn't take up any of the mental space that it used to which is such a relief it really is Rachel, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story and I know you you're a sober coach now so this is this is what you do. You believe in it, you know, so strongly that that's actually what you do is help people get sober, which is, I think it's the best work. I say it's not the hard work, it's the heart work that's the heart best Heart work, stuff. yes. Yeah. And I do it because I think, I wish I had known about sober coaches because that would have cut off so many years of going back and forth, back and forth. If I hadn't have known there was somebody who could help me with the, the mindset stuff and the tools and the strategies, oh my gosh, yeah. And thanks for what you're doing. This is great. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.